the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And we have completed the Jaws franchise on HD Movie Podcast. We are going to be discussing a real treat today. Well, it was a treat for me. I don't know if it is for anybody else, but we're going to be talking Jaws the Revenge. We're back this time with Summer Sharks after taking a slight detour for episode 70. We're back in Dangerous Waters for episode 71. And it's the completion of the Jaws franchise this week. We're looking at the fourth Jaws movie, which is called Jaws 4 in some territories, but it's more commonly known as Jaws the Revenge, which was directed by Joseph Sargent. Yes. And what is Jaws the Revenge about, if you're asking? Well, there's only one man who can tell us, and one man who can make the synopsis sound more exciting than the movie itself. And that is, of course, Mr Nick Reganis, and I'm reading his synopsis once again from IMDb. Having encountered deadly shark attacks most of their lives, the Brody family is in for a shock. After yet another shark-related death on Amity Island, only a few days before Christmas, Convinced that a silent underwater predator is victimising her family after the shark killings in Jaws, 1975, and Jaws 2, 1978. Grief-stricken Ellen Brody tries to start afresh by spending time with her son Michael's family in the Bahamas. However, there too seems to be no escape from the nightmare. Now, for fear of reliving the horrors of the past, Ellen must summon up the courage to face the all-too-familiar great white shark that has been haunting her dreams for the past years. And to put an end to its reign of terror once and for all. But does Ellen have what it takes to destroy the jaws of death before another one dies? Again, again, it makes this movie sound great. And the movie is far from great, in my opinion. But it does have quite a bit to commend it in a bad way. Whereas we've been saying previously, there are some movies that are so bad, they're not enjoyable. This I find quite entertaining because the plot is utterly ridiculous. It's a shark swimming all the way from Amity to the Bahamas to take its revenge. What a ridiculous plot this is. And the first death that the synopsis referred to is quite a major one. It's Sean. The guy who was faffing about in Jaws 3 at SeaWorld gets a very, very, very gory death in this one for a 12 certificate. Uh, gets his arm ripped off 
and then he gets pulled under the water. I really like the opening killing this. It's got a lot of suspense in, and you kind of know something really bad's going to happen, but it still delivers the goods. And after the fairly bloodless Jaws 3, this is a really good way to start off the movie. Oh yeah, to give it credit, the movie starts off quite well. I mean, I do have a criticism of the title sequence because I find the whole shark POV thing, it's overlong, it's pointless, it takes forever to get going. But as you say, it raises the stakes quite early on by killing off one of the Brody brothers. However, the original plan for this death scene was to actually kill off Martin Brody himself, the Jaws hero of 1 and 2. However, we love Roy Schneider on this podcast. I mean, to be fair to him, he has had some sort of epic comments to make about Jaws over the years. And this one, I think, really takes the biscuit. He said, Satan himself could not get me to do Jaws part four. So because he rejected the film, which is fair enough, I can I can understand, um, you know, I think the films just get worse in quality as they go on. And quite frankly, Jaws doesn't really warrant a sequel, or three sequels for that matter, that these films have not added anything. However, that would have been quite interesting. He is dead in the movie. We do get to find this out later on in the film, where Ellen is kind of having a little bit of an anxiety attack about the sharks and saying that they, they killed her husband and killed her son. Her elder son points out, no, dad died of a heart attack. And <laughs> this is one of my favourite lines in the entire film. And obviously, people who are familiar with it will know how iconic this line is. She says, it was the fear. The fear killed him. And it's just the way she delivers that line so abruptly. It's almost humorous. It, it's just like, it makes you think, as people like Nostalgia Critic have pointed out and Minty Comedic Arts have said on their videos about this film, that it really is like not right to do this for Martin Brody's character because he was so badass. Yeah, 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 he kicks ass <laughs> in the first two movies. So how come the fear got him? He's the last person that the fear would get. He's such an iconic <laughs> character and he just takes no shit from sharks. By the end of Jaws 2, it's like, right, another shark, I'm going to go and kill it. So why he suddenly should get all this anxiety and then die of a heart attack? It's a ridiculous plot point in a movie full of ridiculous plot points. <laughs> I mean, it's a disservice to his character at the end of it. It's yeah. just really strange. Like, that was the decision they made, how they were going to write him out. I mean, couldn't it just have been natural causes? Yeah. Or something to, to that effect? Because I don't believe the Martin Brody we saw in Jaws 1 and 2 would have succumbed to a heart attack after killing two sharks and just suddenly deciding he was like terrified the fear just overcame him very very bizarre <laughs> and not only that it completely disregards the events of jaws 3 so the reason it's not titled jaws 4 is because it wants to be the third sequel so yeah you just can ignore jaws 3 and i think that's completely valid because jaws 3 is a waste of time yeah yeah they could have skipped jaws 3 the whole Sea world based shenanigans of Jaws 3 just don't relate to anything going off in the series. Dennis Quaid, I believe, was offered the role to come back as Michael, but he sidestepped it. Maybe he thought that he was going to have to do another load of coke on Jaws 4. So, I mean, Lance Guest is pretty good. I quite like Lance Guest as an actor in general. He was in good stuff like The Last Starfighter, and he's decent as Michael in this movie. 
cast generally is pretty good. They've assembled a decent cast of characters here. They've got Karen Young, who's quite a decent actress, who was in more well-regarded stuff in the 80s, like Handgun. Michael Caine, obviously. We can't talk Jaws of Revenge without talking Michael Caine. People say that Caine phones in his performance. I don't think he does, actually, because he's charismatic, he's quite fun, and he's clearly enjoying doing it, even if the movie's a piece of shit. He seems to be having fun. And when he's on screen, there's more fun to be had with the audience as well. Yeah, the character's pretty one-dimensional. It doesn't get an awful lot to do. But he seems to be having a good time, and it does come across on screen. What I don't really get is giving Lorraine Gary big emotional moments, because she's fine in general, but when she's staring out to sea and getting all anxious and bursting into tears on ferries and stuff, it doesn't quite work. I mean, Lorraine Gary, she's okay, but she doesn't really carry the emotional stuff. Then again, it's a movie called Jaws the Revenge about a shark that's swimming thousands of miles to get other members of a family. So what sort of performance can this possibly pull out of you? It's like, yeah, you've got to stare out to sea and you're mourning the loss of one of your sons and you're thinking that this shark might come after you. It's like, well, yeah, make of that what you will. And there's this weird subplot where she's kind of got a psychic link to what the shark's doing. It's it's a, it's a mess. It's a real mess, this movie. So I believe there was a novel tie-in uh, with this, which actually has more scenes in it that was cut out of the movie, including the inclusion of voodoo. There was meant to be a witch doctor in it that was possessing the shark to kill all these people and seek revenge, which is very strange. And also Michael Caine's character, Hoagie, was meant to be a drug trafficker. Which, again, yeah, they, they wanted to focus more on the shark, so they cut that out. But I, I do find that quite amusing. Yeah. So, there is, as I say, there is a novel tie-in. I mean, it would be quite hilarious to read it, but I'm not sure where you can get your hands on it. <laughs> Apparently, the novelization is amazing. And I have tried to track it down a few times. And every time I've seen it, it's silly money. Let's just put it mm. that way. And... As much as I want to read it, I don't want to pay extortionate prices for a paperback. One of these days, I hope it'll turn up somewhere. But I think it is going to be worth a read. There is a slight allusion to the profession of Michael Caine when he's not flying tourists around. It says something like, I collect or I drop off laundry. Yeah. And that kind of thinks that, well, he's kind of shady. But, but it's a throwaway comment. You can kind of take that one way or the other. And it might be a joke on his part because his character is a bit of a joker and want to exaggerate situations. So when he says this, you can kind of take it with a pinch of salt. You can think, well, maybe he's just doing it as yet another gag or maybe he really is running drugs. But it's not really a main part of the plot. And the voodoo angle is ditched entirely. Yeah, I, I think I would have kind of liked the voodoo aspect because I think it would have actually added at least some sort of motivation for the whole thing. I mean, what I don't understand, and I mean, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to understand it, well, is two things. Number one, who is this shark and what's its relation to the sharks that have been blown up in the previous two movies? 
secondly, how did it travel all the way from Amity to the Bahamas? Like, how did it, how did it know? How did it know? There's just no explanation. And I think it's like, that's what makes this film even more nonsensical. But at the same time, I love it because it's so bewildering. Yeah. And it's just making me laugh. And I think that that's the thing. If it's a bad movie that can just have these ridiculous ideas in it, that you just think, what the hell is going on? But it can still make you laugh. I think that's a plus for it because this wasn't a slog to get through. This was this is quite an enjoyable bad film, and again, it is one of those infamous ones that always features on worst movies of all time. I've definitely seen worse than this. Yeah, but I really did have fun with it. I mean, it, there's no purpose to it in the Jaws franchise, like with any of the sequels. I honestly believe the first one is a masterpiece and should have been a standalone movie. But at the same time, there's just something so endearing about this film because it's so stupid. Yeah. What you can't say is that it's dull. There's lots of stuff going on in this movie. All of it's ridiculous, of course, but there's stuff going on. And it does try to get you to engage with the characters as well, even though the characters are usually quite badly written, including Mario Van Peebles as Jake, who is the most Caribbean man in the entire universe. From the minute Jake comes on screen, it's a taste of the Caribbean, all of his dialogue. Mario Van Peebles is really good in this. Again, he's not served particularly well by the story because his character's relegated to the background for quite a lot of the time. But at least they're trying something here. And for a movie with a decent budget, I think it was kind of $25, $30 million, this movie. And to have that sort of budget for a movie which is so demented in its plot fair play to universal for putting this out because i imagine that people saw this after they'd spent all this money on and thought oh my god what have we done (laughs) (laughs) oh absolutely and talking of the character of jake he has a very weird line in it i think what makes me laugh is there's certain lines in this film that come in at inappropriate moments so as we stated, this is a Christmas movie. There is a scene where they're all opening gifts around the Christmas tree. And there's Jake and his wife and there's uh, Michael, his wife, and his young daughter and his mother. And Michael receives this kind of jazzy Hawaiian shirt from uh, Jake. And Jake says something like about how it'll enhance his sex life. And you just think, why would you say that in front of your child and your mother? And then it goes on to the little girl opening a tea set. She's like, oh, I've got a tea set. (laughs) (laughs) And another line from the little girl in it as well, um, played by the late Judith Parsi, which is awfully sad, Mm. but she has a great line earlier in the film set that she goes, Uncle Sean is dead. Is he coming back? Yeah, I'd forgotten that line. (laughs) And it was like, why what where does she think he's gone i mean she obviously knows he's dead but what sort of concept of death does she have if sean is coming back in the second half of the movie that turns it into a completely different story mind you maybe the voodoo could have revived sean maybe as opposed to the shark traveling there um i would have liked to have seen the shark getting on a plane or something and like doing (laughs) the reds of the lost ark thing where it sort of tracks the tracks the plane going across to the bahamas (laughs) <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it's no more ridiculous a suggestion than anything else that goes off in this movie. There's nods back to the previous film. There's flashbacks to sort of sepia-toned Roy Scheider moments. But there's also <laughs> things like Ellen runs through a crowd of people, which is very much like the sequence in the first one where you get Martin starting to walk and then runs through the crowd. So it's a bit of a rip-off of that. There's also 
Michael and Thea who are doing the sort of, she's mirroring his actions and it's kind of like, it mirrors the first one where Martin is at the table and his son is copying him. So they kind of rerun that, which is nice. I mean, it's quite a sweet sequence. Again, probably doesn't add anything to the movie, but there's, there's a couple of nice little nods to the first one. What I was going to say about those flashback scenes and the whole stop footage, just like shoehorned in there to, um, I suppose, try to create an emotional beat. Was Ellen present for those scenes? Because how, no, exactly. <laughs> and I was just thinking, how can she remember these moments that she wasn't present for? It's like really lazy filmmaking that they're yeah. just like, oh, you know, we'll just show this really kind of profound moment from, from the past and we'll make, you know, do a callback here to uh, the first Jaws, the, you know, the greater film. And that she wasn't even there. And that's another thing that just makes it just so haphazard. It's... Oh, it's just so funny. And also, we do get a very brief cameo from uh, the actress Lee Fierro, who plays Mrs. Kittner in the first movie, the mother of the boy who gets um, maimed by the shark in the first one, the completely iconic scene. She's there to comfort Ellen Brody after the death of Sean. So I think that, that was quite a nice touch to yeah. have that in, showing the sense of community in Amity and how they're all like there for each other with these uh, regular shark attacks that keep um, happening over there. Yeah, I mean, there's some thoughts that's gone into this movie. I mean, not a great deal of thoughts, but there is some thought gone into this movie. And it's saved from being absolutely terrible by the fact that you kind of think it's trying really hard to do something slightly different. Now, all the stuff it tries to do that's slightly different, it's generally rubbish. But at least it's trying. It's not like Jaws 3 where it's kind of, you know, nothing really gets exciting and it's just a, a few good ideas, but they've got no idea how to string them together. At least there's some sort of through line in Jaws of Revenge. As stupid as the through line is, it's there. And you do get some fairly gory moments, at least when people get got by the shark, it's pretty nasty. Whereas in Jaws 3, it was like very, very brief. You only got the sort of aftermath of uh, the Shelby Overman corpse to scare people. Whereas in this, at least they're trying to generate a bit of suspense. And even though the shark looks almost as fake as the other sharks, at least they're trying something here. It's not a great movie, and I'm sure a lot of people absolutely hate it. But I think it's endearing enough to be entertaining. And it's got things like sharks attacking planes and it's trying to bite its way through this boat at one point. It's fine. I mean, you know, yeah, it's not the greatest shark movie you're ever going to see. It might not be the greatest shark movie you've seen this week, but at least it's not Jaws 3. This is very true. It's a lot of fun. And if you can switch your brain off and just go with it, you will have a great time. Because, as I said, it is so nonsensical. None, none of it has any plausibility to it. But I just enjoyed it. I just enjoyed the campness of it, the one-liners. I mean, another example is when Michael Caine is about to get eaten by the shark. He just goes, oh, shit. And then that's it. You don't see him. And then we assume he's dead. And this is crazy. Like, they could have just killed him off. It would have been fine. But no, they bring him back. And he's just like, yeah, I'm fine, even though he's just nearly been eaten by a shark. Very, very strange. And then apparently test audiences were very unhappy with the death of Jake. So he looks like he's had quite a bloodthirsty death. You mm. think he's definitely a goner, but nope, he pops up at the end. And he's just a bit bloodied and then he's fine. Okay, you really just didn't want to 
go there and kill off some of your core characters. But yeah, it's it's, it's very silly. Yeah, Jake gets a really spectacular death in inverted commas because he falls into the shark's mouth and it's chewing on him and then it swims away with him and you see him kind of get taken underwater and there's blood everywhere and you think like, is that well, you know, didn't expect Jake to get killed, but there you go, you know, he's the casualty of the shark. And then at the end, everybody just pops up out of the water. It's like, no, I'm here, I'm here, I'm absolutely fine. It's like, yeah, yeah, really? As much as I enjoy Mario Van Peebles in this movie, when he falls into the shark's mouth at the end, I'm quite happy to accept the fact that Jake is one of the regrettable casualties of the movie. What I'm less happy to accept is that he just pops up and goes, yeah, I'm a bit injured, but I'm basically okay. We'll just get on with the rest of the movie. Again, it's just one of a number of weird decisions this movie makes. It just leaps from place to place. There's a bit in the middle where it's kind of all character development and they go to a casino and they have a dance and stuff. And this is all fine, but it doesn't really further the shark plot any. It just gives us some more time with the characters, which is okay because the characters are quite engaging. But it does lose its way a little bit in the middle. It does slow down quite a lot just so that it can kind of throw some relationship jeopardy in there. The central will-they-won't-they romance between Ellen and Hoagie, the pilots, I've got to say, I just couldn't care less about that. It's so cringy. (laughs) (laughs) All of it was cringe. It's like, oh, do we really need to see this? But you kind of see it coming and you yeah. know where it's going. But yeah, it, it's just crazy. And as well, like the absolute bats of shit decisions that Ellen Brody makes in this movie, like when she decides that's it, I'm taking a stand now and she goes after the shark all on her own on a boat. Like what is she going to expect to do? And as soon as the shark leaps out, out at her, she's like jumping out of her skin. It just does not make any sense to me. It's like, what was she going to achieve from this? And then all the male characters trying to save her, and that's how we get to the fun, oh shit, plane bit, and Jake getting mauled, but then coming back alive. It's honestly just ridiculous. But talking of Michael Caine, because obviously he is probably the most famous actor in this movie, uh, I'm just going to read this fact from IMDb. This is really public knowledge. Everyone knows this fact, but we can't not mention it. This is one of Michael Caine's notorious paycheck movies, along with The Swarm, Shanty, Beyond the Poseidon Adventure and The Island, The Hand, and Blame It on Rio. When Caine was asked about this movie in an interview, he answered, I have never seen it, but by all accounts, it is terrible. However, I have seen the house that it built, and it is terrific. (laughs) Fair play. (laughs) He's fairly upfront about the fact that he just did the movie for the money, he missed the Oscar ceremony where he won, which was... But fair enough, he's a jobbing actor. And if he's going to get paid, which I think a million and a half dollars for seven days of filming, who would turn that down? I wouldn't. It's a bit of a Betsy Palmer situation, isn't it, as well, when um, she said she took the role on Friday the 13th to buy a car. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's like, why not? I mean, you yeah. know, if you get to be in a movie, go to the Bahamas for a week. Why the hell not? I see no problem in what Michael Caine did on this movie. If you're going to get that sort of offer, you'd have been a fool to turn it down. (laughs) Yeah. And then, of course, this was the final Jaws movie in existence. There's been no further sequels, nor does there need to be. But if you watch Back to the Future Part 2, there is a little reference to it. So, of course, Back to the Future is produced by Steven Spielberg, who directed the first Jaws. 
and I think he's just sort of having a playful joke because I think he thought the continuation of the franchise was absolutely ridiculous. So there is Jaws 19 in yeah. 3D, <laughs> which uh, Marcy McFly makes some sort of comment about. Thankfully, in 2015, we did not get Jaws 19. No, no, I think four is more than enough. I yeah. mean, they, they did try to get some other people back. They tried to get Bess Armstrong back as uh, Mike's girlfriend. Bess Armstrong declines, so you get a completely different character in this movie. You get Karen Young as the artist. They wanted to get Murray Hamilton as well, back as the mayor. But unfortunately, yeah. quite tragically, Murray Hamilton died of cancer before they started filming, which was a shame, really. I mean, Murray Hamilton, he's, he's great. He's... One of the characters where you see him on screen, you just think, oh, God, this guy's a bad one. But Murray Allen's is such a great actor at portraying that. I think just to see him one last time would have been really, really good in this movie. But unfortunately, it wasn't to be. Yeah, I think he would have been well suited to it. It would have been great to see him again, especially reacting to the uh, death of Sean Brody and how he would have taken Ellen's kind of claims about the uh, shark seeking revenge. But it, it is ridiculous. I mean, it's a shark. It's seeking revenge on one particular family. This is the plot. Yeah. Just take it with a pinch of salt. You have to. Yeah. It's... <laughs> also, if you're going oh. to have a drinking game for Jaws of Revenge, do not set it around the number of times a character says the word Thea. The character of Thea is mentioned by name more times than I care to remember. In fact, there's one particular sequence in which Thea is under threat from the shark and it's just basically people shouting, Thea! Thea! It's like, yeah, we know her name. We know her name. And like, she's still out to sea. Like, what are you going to do? If you're not sure by the end of the movie what the granddaughter is called, you have not been listening because they say it about 50 times, a conservative <laughs> estimate. And what's really amusing about that scene where the shark does terrorise the earth is it doesn't go for it. It goes for this random woman on the back of the banana boat. <laughs> yeah. Again, this makes no sense. Like, what, why? This, you know, they just needed body count. I get that. But yeah. it was like the shark couldn't be arsed and then just thought, oh, I'll take you. You're on the end of this boat. You're easier to get. Yeah. It's just the fact that it tries to give the shark, you know, an ounce of logic and it just, it does not work. Yeah. The shark would not be seeking revenge. Oh, it's, I think it's, this is the most, the most. But I mean, I know we've covered Sharknado movies, and we've we've covered a lot of uh, crazy shark things on here. But I think this one is probably up there as the most crazy, unrealistic motivation. Yeah. Oh, it's it's dumb as this movie. You cannot attribute any sort of smarts or intelligence to this plot. Yeah, we're saying Sharknado. I mean, Sharknado's dumbness is kind of targeted and kind of winking at the audience and kind of knowing. This is just flat out dumb from start to finish. <laughs> but if you can accept that and you can go with the dumbness, you can have a really good time watching this. If you act against it, you're just going to get annoyed. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I, I would say, other than the original, out of all the Jaws films, if I was going to rewatch one of the sequels, it would be this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a fair shout because Jaws Two is a bit more perfect, and it's kind of a retread of the first one, and it's not a great retread of the first one. It's all right, but it's still almost a template of the first one. At least this one, it's crazy. It's completely daft. It goes off in directions you don't expect, and I think there's a lot of rewatch value in it, even though 
it's not particularly well made and a lot of the stuff in it has no common sense attached to it whatsoever but that's what makes it fun and i've seen this quite a few times whereas i watched jaws 3 again and just thought yeah i've had enough i've had enough of jaws 3 now that is the last time i'm going to watch that this one as soon as it got to the credits i thought you know what if it came on the telly again because it's probably going to be on itv4 or something next week and i see just the revenge in the listings you know and i'm i'm around i probably think you know what i'll give it a watch yeah it's a pretty easy going watch as well you don't have to you know tax your brain too much with it and of course the movie was badly received by <laughs> critics so i'll uh, give you a quote from the king of reviewing roger ebert so he wrote this in the chicago sun times he gave it zero stars and said <laughs> It is not simply a bad movie, but also a stupid and incompetent one. And he lists several elements that he finds unbelievable, including that Ellen is haunted by flashbacks to events where she was not present. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm on board with you there, Roger but not rush your soul. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair enough. Yeah, he's got a point. But at the same time, it's because of those things that I find it really entertaining because it's so stupid and because it doesn't make a lick of sense from start to finish yeah ellen sees the death of sean she wasn't even there so so obviously <laughs> you know somebody maybe you know what they do projecting it onto the wall next to her and go oh look this is what happened it's just full of stuff that either wouldn't happen or couldn't happen or it happens for no logical reason whatsoever but i really enjoyed jaws of revenge so soon we and uh, the shark won a Razzie for worst uh, animal actor. And I think <laughs> previous to that, the dolphins from the third one also won the same award. So, uh, yeah, Jaws has got a lot of Razzies to its name. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Michael Caine got a Razzie for this as well, as well as winning an Oscar for probably a more high-profile film. Yeah. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 0% tomato meter and a 15% audience score. I think people hype this up to be worse than it actually is, though. Yeah. It's a bad movie, but it's not badly made. It's just got some very odd choices in it. Yeah. And then IMDb said, give it a 3 out of 10. But I think this is one of my favourite bad movies. I think 3 out of 10 is harsh. And I think if you're a bad movie connoisseur, that rating goes up quite a lot. And to quote Mark Kermode about bad movies it's rubbish but it's not bad rubbish i was going to ask you a question as well about the very end of the movie the shark roars as it's jumping out of the water what did you think to the shark roar well i'd already found out that it was actually a piece of audio lifted from tom and jerry from jerry himself and i think that's absolutely hilarious it's like what made him think we've got to get this um shark to roar right now you know it's like even though a shark wouldn't roar and they just pick like a children's cartoon to get the effect it's just mind-blowingly hilarious <laughs> it kind of fits the movie as well that they would pick a, a cartoon because the movie is very cartoony as well and that's not to its detriment i've got probably more love for jaws revenge than i should have but i think it's a perfectly good piece of entertainment. I guess that might be going against quite a lot of people's opinions of what constitutes a perfectly good piece of entertainment, but I reckon that if you have a room full of people, maybe some alcohol, this is an absolute riot of a movie. 
yeah, I could definitely see myself rewatching this, and I'd love to rewatch it with a group of people because I think it would be more rewarding in that sense because you'll just end up having lots of fun with it, and as you say, the drinking game possibilities, yeah. Just like a double shot when the shark roars. Yeah, double <laughs> shot when the shark roars. Just don't gear any of your alcohol antics towards the character of Thea because you'll be probably pissed by about 35 minutes in. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So pace yourselves, people. I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 71 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And this time it was personal. So if you'd like to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with our latest episodes and past episodes, that is the place to be. Next time, it's another Summer of Sharks episodes. We're going to be covering a few more shark films before we're done with this. And... It's another fourth in the series next time. We're going to be covering the next in our continuing investigation into the Sharknado franchise. It is Sharknado 4, The Fourth Awakens. Love it. And I can't believe this is Sharknado in Las Vegas. So I'm very excited about this because I'm thinking of all the crazy possibilities that this movie could have. So tune in next time to find out our thoughts on another excellently bad b-movie yeah and we'll find out whether or not tara Ree's character survived after the last one so until then stay safe everybody we'll see you soon the hd movie podcast is presented by Haley alice roberts and darren gaskell its music is written and performed by mitch bay you can find the episodes on apple podcasts google podcasts samsung podcasts amazon music podchaser Tune in, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.